0: This is the Running Publix Training Tuesday. Training Tuesday is where we talk about training only. One topic, we dive deep, we explore it completely. It's training, it's Tuesday. Training Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. We're starting. We've had some requests lately, Kirk, that flies in the face of of, of what we intended when we started this podcast. Tell, Tell the people what the request has been. Talk more about
1: yourselves. And the one thing that we wanted to make sure of when we started this podcast
0: was to not make it about us, didn't we? Yeah, we, we said we are tired of people doing this and maybe not tired of it, but our point was we don't want to be the people that start a podcast in order to talk themselves up and talk about themselves. <laughs> well, I don't know if we've aired too far on the opposite side or if we're just so interesting that people need to know more about us.
1: I don't think it's that one. I don't either. Well, I'm going to start by talking about myself then, Bracken.
0: Tell me a little bit about your training, Kirk. Thanks for asking.
1: I went for a six-mile run this morning. This is my seventh run back, and I went out and crushed six miles in the dark this morning, and I feel really good about it.
0: That's a really big step forward.
1: It is, man. I have been very tentative with this foot issue and coming back because the confusing thing is it is sore between exercise bouts. It's sore when I get up in the morning. It is sore after I'm sitting for a while and go walk across the room. And I'm like, oh, that's worrisome. But every time I've gone and run, I don't have pain. And I work into it and it leads me to believe it's soft tissue, not a bone issue anymore. And so I felt like running this morning Bracken, and I was feeling good and I've run twice a week as I promised the people I would. This is my fourth week now. And I just ran six miles. And that might not sound like a big deal to you guys, but when you take five months off of running with a bone injury, six miles feels like a big deal. It is a big deal. And you're breaking that 40-minute barrier. I think there's something magical about 40 minutes. I didn't break the 40-minute barrier back, and I ran faster than
0: that. Oh, so you you were moving.
1: I did a mile hard, half mile off mile hard, half mile off, mile hard. Yeah. So I did a little mini workout.
0: You're already doing mini workouts.
1: Hey, I, I, I mean, you know, I got, I got to run number 16 to beat your 5k time trial and I'm on seven. So I got to get moving. Ah, I didn't do any quality before that. You're going to crush my time. I hope so. I hope I embarrass you. You will. You will. But anyways, the foot, the foot's holding up, man. And, even now, I'm a few hours removed, and it's not sore, and that was six miles on cement, which is also my first time doing something like that, and I'm going to knock on wood because I am optimistic that I'm trending the right direction.
0: It should be optimistic. That's a, that's a big moment.
1: Yeah. Happy for you. Thanks, brother. How's My heart rate data would tell you that I'm very out of shape, though.
0: <laughs> it is embarrassing. <laughs> it, that's the thing right now. I feel like I can do pieces of what I used to be able to do, but they're so costly.
1: Oh man, it's just like look. I should be like 15 beats a minute lower at the same like efforts. It's kind of kind of wild. Yeah. Um, what about you, Bracken? How's your training going?
0: Well, I had that lower back thing, but I'm over it. I ran yesterday, got a half hour in, just kind of a feel it out. Did some light deadlifting to to stress that area, load it a bit, and stretch it. Deadlifts are kind of like stretching in a way.
1: What do you What are you doing for strength work right now?
0: Um. I didn't do any last week because I did one workout and my lower back was bad. So I'm doing our standard uh I'm doing Wendler's five three one. Okay. I do Three by five for a week, three by three for a week, and then five three one for a week and then reset. Mm. I like it. It's stimulating mentally.
1: Are you finding um that your strength is still increasing on that program? Or are you starting to stall out? Just started into it, but it'll increase for a long time. My my general school of thought on that is um As soon as you stall out and improving on strength, you either reduce rep count or you go through a cycle like that, work to ones, and then reset again back at fives and climb back down to three and then one. But you can sit in a pattern
0: of like three sets of five for months if your weights are still going up. I find that I can get nine to 11 weeks of constant progression on three by five. And then Mm. if I switch up reps, I get I can double that. Yeah. And that's why you wait though, to do it because you can get good benefit by doing let, like little work in a sense. Right. So. Mm-hmm. so anyways, it's interesting. The, what I found with the, with the weight training is that things like squat and deadlift have gone down maybe 10% and things like overhead press and weighted pull-ups and dips have gone down like 40%. Down? Down. Since yeah. So my weighted since running. Since taking time away of lifting um, after surgeries and not working the same way and coming back to it, where I I kept a a large percentage of my squat and deadlift, like those full body pushing into the ground movements. And in particular, weighted pull-ups and dips have just the bottoms dropped out of them. Where are you at for weighted pull-ups? What are you throwing around these days? I did three by five of 25 pounds on my waist. And that was a challenge. And I think I was at 75 for three by five prior to surgery. Oh boy. That's a huge dip. That'll come back though. Yeah. It'll come back real quick. It was just very interesting to see that happen, but I'm excited for, so we are, I think I'm 12 days out from that six hour, uh, race that I'm doing with Ross. So not a race for me, but a a completion time on feet, which will be fun. And, and I'm also looking at three by two mile and then three by 5K in, in the shoe testing round. So I'm up to, I'm moving to slower paces and longer distances to keep checking it out. When are you doing three by two mile this week? Uh, probably
1: tomorrow. You can't fake that like you can fake quarters. You can't fake that like you can somewhat fake miles with like full, full, full recovery. Like this is gonna be a real test.
0: Yeah, it will be. And I'm still gonna take big recovery because the purpose, and this is why these workouts are really fun for me right now. I'm not in shape to do three by mile or three by two mile or three by 5k or any of the, you know, weird workouts like that. A, they're disjointed. They don't progress from one to the other. Mm -hmm. And B, I don't have the fitness to do that, but if I take long recovery, I can still run fast enough and it's really fun. And since I'm not progressing towards something right now, I'm progressing towards being able to handle the next stage of training. I can just hit these disjointed oddball workouts that I just get to run fast and hard, take long rests and feel good about myself. I think we have
1: another month, maybe two months of what you said, disjointed working out, if you so choose to play a little bit. I mean, still keeping high in fitness, you're doing that. But if there's not as much rhyme or reason to your progression right now, that's okay.
0: Because it's exciting to you. Yeah. And I just am really enjoying the feeling of running fast. Me too. Like I, I had, I know we had talked briefly about this, but in that three by mile workout, I broke five for the first time in this calendar year. You know, that's, that's really fun to run a sub five minute mile. Mm -hmm. And at one point I was wondering, you know, will I even do that this year ever? Like if I went out hard, could I do it? And then to get one out of the way, it's like, oh man, it's so fun to run fast again. So the three by two mile I'm looking forward to, I'm I'm backing off paces each round. So I started with 420 pace testing the shoes. And then I did five flat pace, which turned into 455 pace. And -hmm. then I'm going to do 515 and 530 and then six minute pace and then seven minute pace. So I'm going to test all the different paces to make sure that we see how much of a benefit these super shoes add at all paces so that people who are racing all ends of the spectrum can get an idea for what will this do for me at my intended pace. Like if I'm running a marathon at seven minute pace or a 5k at seven minute pace, will these benefit me? Or if I'm running a road mile at 420 or running a 5k at at five flat pace, what will they do for me? So it's fun to just go hit different paces and rip it up with long rest in between the intervals. When can we expect the report to come out on the super shoe versus non-super shoe? It depends how in-depth we want to take it because I still want to get through 3 by 2 mile, 3 by 5 k so that I can hit the 515 and 530 pace and then I'm going to do work at six minutes. So that'll be longer interval work. Maybe maybe the 3 by 5 I'll do at each 5K at six minute pace to, to test that out. But then I want to hit... Um, like a five or six mile tempo in each shoe in one week, and then a long run in each shoe. So that the long runs alone, I'm going to need time between. So we might be another two to three weeks before the testing wraps. Oh, I would think longer than that even. Yeah. Especially with that six hour race in the middle, I'm not going to do any shoe testing uh, probably for a week after that. All right. Well,
1: maybe by January 1st, you guys will know if it's worth spending $300 on a pair of shoes to make you marginally faster. Or not. Exactly. Uh Uh, Today, folks, one thing we don't want to forget to tell you is that VJ Shoes is having their Black Friday sale, and it's going on Friday through Monday after Thanksgiving. And if we know anything about VJ Shoes, uh, we know that they're going to put like a real deal out there for you. And this also is going to segue into our topic for today, which is winter running. Mm-hmm. And we do love running in our VJ shoes in the winter in the sloppy terrain. So make sure you pay attention. They don't have discount codes out yet. Uh, they're keeping those a secret, but you'll see those towards the end of the week. Um, and one of our t- all-time favorite winter running shoe is the the Zero,
0: which is awesome. It is. So it, I'm going to bet it's at least $50 off any pair of shoes. Last year, they only did a Black Friday. This time, it's Friday through Monday. So you'll have a bigger window to use. But when they sell out, they're done. So. Mm-hmm. Well,
1: uh, and, and this is our first double dipping training Tuesday. If you guys think back, the guys have been with us since the beginning. Our first training Tuesday was on winter running back in January. And that time of year, unfortunately has rolled around again. And Bracken, you've been already hearing some excuses, haven't you?
0: Yes. It is interesting to, to see how people start preemptively copying out of going outside for runs had a few calls this week with athletes and they're going to feel called out by this. I'm not going to say names, but they're going to know who they are. And they said, yeah, you know, coming up here, probably not going to be able to do this type of workout anymore because I'll be inside from here. on out. because, you know, winters get pretty nasty here. We have a lot of snow on the ground and we have ice on the roads and the trails are covered in snow um, or it's just so cold and windy. So, you know, I'm going to be moving in. Exactly. I don't want to tell people you must run outside, but I do want them to know you don't have to be inside. Something
1: you don't have to be inside, first of all, you need to suck it up is what you need to do. And if you're an OCR or a trail athlete, running in shitty conditions is what we do. Like that is how we race. So you just might wanna think about that. If you can get through the first couple minutes of your run, when it's cold outside, everything turns to gravy afterwards. You're sweating, you're feeling good. The cold is a thing of the past.
0: I think excuses are just that, excuses. Yeah. Every time I think winter's bad, I look at people in Alaska or higher up in Canada or Mm -hmm. in some of the Scandinavian countries and I realize there's no excuse not to run because they're running. And like you said, it's the first couple of minutes and I think it's even less than that. I think it's just getting out the door. I think the most important part of winter running comes from deciding to run on the very first cold day every time you 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 avoid going outside, you further cement the, the odds that you're probably not going to go out and run. But if you run on the first cold day, you can get out on the second cold day. And by the time you get to the middle of winter, when it's as cold as it's ever going to be, you're it, it's not a decision anymore. It's just routine. I couldn't agree more. I want to just start this with the one conversation
1: about this time of year. And I thought about it this morning because I was out my door at 5.30 and and it doesn't get light here until seven right now, is problem or hurdle one is lack of light in the winter. What do you tell people, Bracken, who say, I get home from work late and I can't run in the light, so I would rather be on the treadmill and be safe, or in the morning, the same thing, I need to get to work.
0: What is your rebuttal for that? That's that's a great rationale, but it's also, it doesn't matter they make these fantastic things called streetlights and these fantastic things called headlamps.
1: Really? What are I've never heard of either of though.
0: Yep, streetlights they're just naturally occurring in nature. They sprout up out of the median or the sidewalk area and they, oh. yeah, they emit this 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 pretty nice glow that illuminates the ground in front of you.
1: What a concept.
0: Yeah, and the headlights, the headlamps, they they're worn it's like a belt for your head and instead of a buckle it has a light on it. And anywhere you look, it looks as well and it shows you what's on the ground there i'm fascinated by these these options that we have yeah and they also have types that you can wear around your waist so that you don't have to stare where you know down and make your head or neck uncomfortable the the belt looks for you and you can just be you Uh uh-huh um this is going to be a little bit of like a psa
1: episode i have a feeling yeah and it should be um guys okay You can pick your route based off of streetlight availability. Some neighborhoods are well-lit, some are poor. You have to drive five minutes from your house to get to a well-lit neighborhood to run loops in the dark. Set your alarm five minutes early, suck it up, and do it. Like The excuses are just that, excuses. Headlamps, there are a lot of different headlamps, and I will say that the one area is worth investing in is a nice headlamp one that doesn't bounce on your head, one that stays tight. The rechargeable headlamps, although expensive, are really nice instead of having to replace batteries all the time. Um, And they can be fully charged for every run. I would tell people the headlamp game, like you get what you pay for there. Don't buy the cheap $20 one, like go for the $100 one and suck it up up front. You'll be very happy. Um, That's my two cents on the headlamp. And then picking running routes. I mean, if you are an exception and you live in the countryside and you don't have that luxury, I get that's still a barrier, but the headlamp thing is like real. I mean, you could get eaten by a wolf or a bear or a mountain lion in the dark, but the chances are pretty low.
0: So get out there. Mm -hmm. And and I I have less sympathy for people who live in the country and run in the dark because I've lived in the country and run in the dark. Okay, there you go. Where I went to college in Whitewater, it's rural Wisconsin. And once you get outside the city, the main city, which is only like two miles by two miles, mm-hmm. you're, you're in country roads. And where I first lived in Walworth, Wisconsin, they just don't have streetlights out because it's all country roads. And so I, I've run in the dark with no headlight, no headlamp, probably as much as any person that I could ever know. And then I've also spent many, many mornings with Lisa on the road, lighting up our way wearing one because she's not as comfortable running in the dark as I am. So I have just done Mm -hmm. it for so many years that I don't, I just don't buy that excuse anymore. Yeah. It's dark. So, so illuminate it. I mean,
1: look at my Strava this morning. I picked a lighted neighborhood route. I ran three laps of it to get my six miles in. I did not wear a headlamp and I did it in 20 degree weather. I'm not looking for a pat on the back, but like exactly as you said, like if you're going to start, like just
0: rip the bandaid off and start. Um, and there's nothing wrong with treadmill training in the winter. There isn't. But I firmly believe two things about winter running. The first is that if you intend to race in spring, you have to be outside in winter. You can't you can't run treadmill all winter and suddenly be good off-road or on hard ground or on technical terrain. It just doesn't work. That skill has to be present. So the skill work is necessary. And just as important, the mental aspect has to be there. If you can't get outside and run in the cold and in the dark, then you can't race well. I just don't believe you can. So you, it's, it's, it's mental training as much as it is physical training.
1: You know what I find the treadmill misses as far as engagement goes, and this is something I'm experiencing as I'm coming back from taking so much time off, is the hamstring recruitment of running outside versus running on a treadmill. The way that belt moves for some reason just doesn't force those hamstrings to fire like they do when you're outside on real terrain. And so after, I've been running on the treadmill because it's softer and I've been doing that strategically because of my foot, not because I'm a wimp. But after my run this morning, like my hamstrings are already a bit sore and starting to bind up. And I've run hard on the treadmill already in my little comeback for some bouts. So I know that like I'm missing part of muscle, my muscle recruitment by the treadmill running for sure. Um,
0: have you ever noticed that yourself? Absolutely, the treadmill doesn't force you to propel yourself forward. Correct. And so you don't, unless you're really, really intentional about it. And if you run uphill on the treadmill, it helps a bit with that, but it there is no way to fully simulate being outside, especially off road. So I think you just have to do it. And so, yeah, the first thing is you just have to commit that that first cold, dark morning, I'm going. No matter what, I'm going. and And that's the start of building your mentality up to be able to handle anything. If we're talking about getting outside and not being
1: a wimp and just doing it, I think I've maybe shared this on the podcast. If not, I've talked to you about it, Bracken, is I get up in the morning, I make my cup of coffee, I put on all my running clothes already, my pants, my, my layers on top, even my hat, and I sit in my 66 to 68 degree house overdressed. And I get that warm coffee in me and I start to sweat a little bit in my clothes and I'm beginning to crave going outside. Half the people throw their stuff on and then just go, which is fine. But this will like warm yourself up before you go outside. I like, am actually sweating underneath my hat because I got this hot coffee in this hot house and I'm dressed already. And I'll walk around my house for a half an hour in my running clothes as I wake up. And it works every single time. I can't wait to walk out that door because I'm miserable inside. <laughs> and it's I've told a few of my clients to do this. And they come back and be like, "Oh my God, like that works better than anything to get me out the door I've ever done." So just a little, um, I don't know, Kirk Wint trick for you if if you're struggling getting
0: out the door cause you don't want to get cold. I like that. In the past, I never did that because I don't struggle with the cold too badly as long as <laughs> I'm moving. I, but I would always have the 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 seat heater on or or the heat cranked if I was in the car driving to a run. But then I just get out and go and it's fine. But this year, I found that with my knee surgeries, I have to be more warm and loose than normal. And so when I did that 5K time trial a few weeks back, it was I think like 27 or 28 degrees when I started and I really wanted to be warm. And so I warmed up on the treadmill inside and I did my dynamic work on the treadmill inside. And then I did like a two or three minute steady state on the treadmill. And then I quick hopped off, threw on my outdoor running clothes, drove three minutes to the cross country trails, got out, did two or three strides, and then did the 5K. Hmm. So I got sweaty and then I threw on new clothes and by the time I got there, they were a little more damp, but they weren't soaked because I didn't wear them during the warm up. but it, it was really nice to be arrived there already sweaty, warm and ready to go.
1: Mm-hmm. I have my heater cranked up high. If I am driving to a destination, I always want to get uncomfortable before I get outside and it works for me. So
0: good. We're on the same page there. Yeah. And race mornings in spring are always the same thing. It's dark. You're wondering, will the sun even actually be up by our 7 a.m. start time? And it's cold. It's chilly. Even though it's not 10 degrees out, 30 degrees, 40 degrees is cold when you're just standing around like signing your race waiver and picking up Mm -hmm. your packets. So if that's the first time you've encountered that, you're not set up for a great successful race. But if you can walk out and be like, well, this is 20 degrees warmer than I'm used to, then then you're set. My neck hurts
1: uh, the morning of races because I walk around and I just shake my head. Vigorously at all those idiots in their compression top and their compression shorts standing in line shivering What a bunch of idiots. I'm probably talking to a number of you right there.
0: Put on those layers. Stay warm Yeah, so let's talk layers. Let's talk about and I know we did this in the last episode But we have new listeners since then and people don't love digging back through episodes So we're gonna give our current what we wear in different temperatures. Yeah, let's do it All right. So first of all, I consider it to be cold once it's in the 30s Fahrenheit 39 versus 30? I just in the thirties. Thirty I mean, I don't consider thirty nine cold, but I start actually thinking about clothes once it's below forty. If it's forty or above, you know, it's same thing as if it's sixty or seventy. It's shorts, t shirt if I want it. And that's about all I need. But once I get in the thirties, then then I start worrying about it. So if it's above freezing, the most you'll really see me wear is maybe a light pair of cotton gloves and a long sleeve. And that's about it because once you get moving, you're fine. But once you get below that, that's when you start needing real gear and what temperature that is doesn't, doesn't matter for some people that's 60 degrees, they need tights on when it's 60. And for some people it's 10 degrees. I I guess I don't care what it is, but that next layer, when I can no longer get away with a long sleeve and shorts, what I like to put on are tights, real running gloves and a long sleeve top. And that's where my kind of, that's my baseline for everything. Tights, long sleeve top, and gloves, and then something over my ears. It doesn't take
1: much to trap your body heat. Not nearly as much as what people think. In fact, a lot of people wear like thick cotton jacket or other material. Honestly, if you put a garbage bag around your upper body and it completely blocks the wind and traps your heat, you're going to get hot and sweaty in there. So when I need to get some real work done, and even if it's 20 degrees like it was this morning, it was 19, I think. I had just a thin long sleeve on and a windbreaker paper thin, and I was completely saturated through. It's really about that windbreaker material. It's not overrated. When you get yourself a nice jacket, like we talked about the Patagonia Houdini, which is what I wore this morning.
0: Um, Doesn't take much, does it? It really doesn't. No. And I run warm and you run cold. And so you always will have more layers than I do. But either way, it's about having gear you can trust. So yeah, that uh, Patagonia Houdini. I just got Lisa an Outdoor Research Helium 2 jacket. Oh, Yeah. She always comes back soaked if it snows or if it drizzles or if she's sweating on a run. So I got her a jacket that can breathe a bit, but also withstand some elements. And like you said, most importantly, the wind and it keeps your temperature in. So I've talked about it before, but I use, I love Solomon's tops. I love them. The Iquipe, I think that's how it's pronounced, jacket. Mm -hmm. It's a quarter zip. I have two of those and I wear those on 90% of my winter runs it's below 20 I put that on with a t-shirt and if it's below 10 I put it on with a long sleeve and if I if it's below zero I put it on with a thermal um, like mock turtleneck underneath but that is my top layer for every bit of freezing weather and I love it and so it's finding a jacket or a soft shell because that's a soft shell it's not a true jacket and Mm -hmm. I have vented mesh on the back because I run hot but the front has the wind blocking soft shell and it keeps me warm Yeah, it's the biggest deal there. And I would say under
1: layers, um, once you go merino wool, you will never, ever, ever go back. So all of my stuff when it's time to perform is either the mud gear material, their performance material, which I actually really like. It keeps you warm, but it wicks really well. Or merino wool has a hefty price tag, but you'll get it. Once you put it on and you wear it once, it somehow keeps you warm, but it your sweat magically like wicks away and so it doesn't keep you cold um so it's just a fantastic
0: product so i'm a merino wool under layers for life now now everyone talks about merino wool and every brand makes something of it what brands do you trust for it because some people's merino wool is scratchy or itchy and that's what people think of when they think wool what brands do you trust for comfort and for durability My Merino wool is the
1: softest. It's softer than any well-worn cotton t-shirt. It's it's so soft. It's so comfortable. Um, I've been all craft since, truth be told, I got a, you know, some free craft gear just for being on the pro team. And one of the things I ordered was um, a Merino wool long sleeve. And I've gone back and now spent my own money on a number of the merino wool products from craft because they're just fantastic. That's my only experience. I have deer hunting clothes that's merino wool that cost the same, and they're brilliant, but I wouldn't recommend running in
0: deer hunting clothes. (laughs) So that's what I got. What about you? Um, I actually don't use merino wool. I am a full believer in it, but I'm just never cold enough. Yeah. and that. I think last two winters ago, I, I bragged that I hit my new PR. It was negative forty-eight degrees without wind chill, and I ran in it. And I, I was pumped that I got to set a new cold temperature PR. And I didn't need it. I had my Salomon top. I had underneath that I had a, a just a Reebok thermal like mock, and then I had a T-shirt over the top of that for just one extra little layer. And then I had on compression shorts and my Craft thermal leggings, and that's all I needed. If my hands and head and face are fine, then everything else is fine. So I'm not the person who needs a vest or needs merino wool because I don't need it. But again, if I I had to trust brands for outdoor apparel in particular winter, my brands are Craft, Salomon, Gore, and Smartwool. There are many other great options out there, but I know that those four, anything you buy from Gore, Craft, Salomon, or Smartwool is going to be fantastic. It's going to last forever and it's going to be pricey. Well, that's the thing. That's actually the thing. This stuff lasts forever when you
1: buy it. It's it, it's worth the the price take up front because you're going to end up spending that on multiple shirts over the years that this one, let's say, could take care of. And when it comes to winter running staying warm, guys, like it's about three places. It's about your neck gape, it's about your head, and it's about your hands. Once you get moving, really, you could run in a t-shirt in zero degrees if you had really nice hands-covered, head and your neck gape like for whatever reason we just leak body heat out of those places. So it's like honestly invest in nice stuff for those things and you're gonna be fine. I mean the, the, the merino wool stuff really comes into play like let's say you're doing interval work and you're running three by a mile hard and it's a windy winter day and you go hit your mile, but then you have three minutes of standing around and it's just enough time to start feeling like you're getting a little cold and chilly uh because you got a cotton t-shirt on that's soaked and then it doesn't work as well that way. Whereas the Merino wool just kind of keeps you a little bit more even. And that's, that's where I really like it to be honest in the, the undulating efforts outside. Cause if you're working hard, you're going to stay, be fine
0: in whatever. you. I agree with that. Um, In terms of hands, that's where I do have Merino wool. I have some Merino wool um, outdoor research mittens that I wear when it's cold. And other than that, I wear cheap um, cottony gloves or some like polyester slash cotton gloves. I've never spent more than probably eight or $10 on a pair of gloves in my life, but my mittens are good, are good mittens. And if it's super cold, then I wear the gloves and I throw the mittens over the top. If it's super cold, I just throw on my ski gloves and run with huge, like transformer hands. It's awesome. And I, I feel so slow and awkward doing that that I don't. But the outdoor research, the flurry mittens are thin, but they keep so much so much warmth in, and so that over the top of thin cotton gloves sometimes i don't even need the thin cotton gloves i could probably run down till zero degrees in just those mittens thin mittens and nothing underneath they're just great lisa has a pair as well we love them hmm. what about um what about feet it's another place where I, I, it doesn't matter i i can wear uh mudgear socks i can wear regular i can just wear my regular socks my hyper thin asic socks or um uh, I do a lot of my work in Swiftwick and it's just fine. So I don't need Merino wool swa- socks. I don't need big, thick winter trail socks. Some people do, but as long as I'm moving, my feet are fine. Yeah. I, the, the, diff- the thing I make sure is that I'm using above the ankle socks so that there isn't that gap between my pants and my socks. Cause that's what gets cold. And then when snow touches it, if you're running off trail, that's what gets cold.
1: Yeah, yeah, I always use ankle socks in the winter. And uh mud gear or Darn Tough. I mean, those are the, the two I go to. Um, I've been getting this question from a few people, uh clients of mine lately, and they're saying, All right, winter's coming and I need to buy a shoe uh for the crappy conditions. Like what do I what do I buy? And there are people who like buy one pair of shoe, right? One mm-hmm. pair of shoes. Uh they don't have like a you know closet like you or I do. And people get in this trap of like running in their trail shoes all winter whether they're on the roads or there's good conditions or bad conditions i really think you need to at least put two pairs of shoes in your arsenal like most of the winter running is done if you're a cement runner on pretty clean terrain so you don't need to put too much thought into that keep running in what you're running in but let's talk about if we're going to get off trail if we're going to be on slop ice slush What your go-tos are both racing maybe or high-end quality work and um, just slow training runs.
0: So I really only have three shoes that I wear. I wear my road shoes on roads. Like you said, if you hit snow or slush, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. If I'm Mm -hmm. off trail in the snow, then I wear OCR shoes. trail Trail shoes. Almost always. Uh, A racing
1: type. A shoe you could could race and you'll wear in the snow.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because in snow, you need less cushioning. And you need more stability. Right. So I, I wear something with lugs. I've done whole winters of training in just Reebok All-Terrain or just Innovate X-Talon or just um, VJ Extreme. I, and that's been fine. But I've always had a pair of spiked shoes, something with a carbide tip. I started with Icebug, uh, their Zeal spiked shoe. Then I had uh, a Salomon shoe, like a X cross or something with... Um, a spike and now i've just been in the vj um, zeros and they're they're the best spiked shoe i've ever worn they're light they're semi-flexible but not crazy flexible they're stiff enough to be stable they're comfortable and their their carbide tips are just as good as anyone else's i don't think you can screw that area up so Mm -mm. they're fantastic so yeah i have regular trail lug shoes i have my spiked shoes and i just have my normal shoes and if you don't want to invest in spiked shoes and i I think if you're going to do workouts or race off-road in the winter, even just workouts, it's worth it to have a spiked shoe Mm -hmm. because it's just, it's the the tool you pull out when you need it and you never regret it putting it on. But you can take um, sheet metal screws and put them into the bottom of regular trainers and now you have spiked shoes. Mm -hmm. And I've done that for years as well. Uh, Steve Hammond, if you look at his Instagram, every year he puts up the video of him screwing in his sheet metal screws into the bottom of his, his shoes. Well, here's the thing about like the carbide studs, carbon carbide studs
1: is for some reason people get caught in the trap of like, Oh, I can only wear them on ice and in the winter because it's a metal spike. I have run in my zeros, which I've said before on this podcast, it is the best shoe I put on ever on a racer ever. And just ran in it. Like it fit my foot, like a glove. And it was feels beautiful. And the heel to toe drop is money and the way it reacts with my foot and the ground is beautiful. You don't, if you invest in a pair of shoes like that and the zeros will be going on sale, so you should look into it. Um, you can run in the dirt with those. Like those are great summer trail running shoes. Nope. You cannot race in them because they're illegal for like a Spartan race to have metal on your shoes. However, it's a fantastic training shoe all year on the trails. And people forget that about, about the zero. I, love it. It's still my favorite fit of all VJ shoes. Yeah. So I, I'll wear it in in warm conditions as well if I'm not running
0: on cement. If you wear, if you put on yak tracks or something like that, they're, they're not super stable and you feel them on on rocks and they're weird. And you put the sheet metal screws into your shoes. They work really, really well, but you feel them on rocks and they're awkward. The tiny little carbide tips on any shoe you get, like the zero or Solomon or ice bug or whatever you choose, Mm -hmm. you don't feel them on a rock or a log when you hit it because it's such a small point and it's, it's surrounded by rubber. So it doesn't push into you at all. You, You have no discomfort. And like you said, yeah, you could just run a trail on them and you'd be fine.
1: Yeah. So what if you can't race in it because it's not allowed, but most of your running is training anyways. So you, it's an, it's a shoe you can use for a lot of applications more than you think. So that's one that I, again, I feel pretty strongly about making an investment in that that was a game changer this last winter when I was running. Um, we had a lot of like, uh, we had a lot of melt and then freeze. It was like that played that game of it getting warm and then freezing and then getting warm and then freezing. So the trails are just a piece of crap ice all winter here for like two months. It's like we didn't get soft running. It was that annoying stuff. And my feet stuck to that like glue in, in the carbide stud zero. So uh, I, I won't push that anymore, but they're, it's a fantastic shoe. And then on the other side, I wear Hoka's uh, through and through. I really like the Speed Goat. Um, I'm a big fan of the Mafate. Uh, If I want to just go put some time, it's a heavier shoe, but it's a good shoe. And then uh, the Torrent, uh, not quite as aggressive, but it is a nice, if you're going to be doing some trail and some road, the Torrent is like the nice combination of like, you could run on the road with it, but it also has some stuff for like those icy patches. So Torrent's a really good hybrid, I think, for like the patchy winter running on cement.
0: Mm -hmm. My hybrid shoe is the Challenger. Yeah, Challenger's good. From, From Hoka. You can run roads with it. In fact, I like it on the road more than I like the Clifton. The Clifton sometimes gets complained that it's too soft or it just it's a little mushy it absorbs some of your energy and you feel like you lose it and the Challenger because it has extra rubber on the bottom it has a bit firmer ride and I really like it. So that's that's actually my my go to shoe for road running in winter.
1: You know I get slack for wearing my so I've done all my runs in the Hoka Bondi so far from coming back which is like their beefy pillow top shoe but my Bondi is more responsive than the Clifton because it has the extra rubber on the bottom. And so I don't feel like I lose my pop. It actually gives me back
0: some. Yeah. And so, so they have some good technology there. So I'm a Bondi guy on the roads
1: in case anybody cares.
0: I I think that's good. And I think that having something on your face um, over your eyes is important when it gets really cold. Otherwise you're just tearing up the entire time. So glasses works and ski goggles work when it's really, really cold. If you're in the Northern area of where you live. You might need ski goggles when it gets below like negative 10 degrees.
1: Mm -hmm. And you look cool wearing them.
0: (laughs) You look like a goon. (laughs) It's
1: it's awesome. So, so we wanted to talk in this podcast, you know, about the mental mindset of winter running and we touched on it a little bit to start, right? Like just suck Mm -hmm. it up. But like, what, what do we, what do we do? What do we tell these people? Cause I still have some babies that I'm trying to get out the door. What do you tell them? What do you tell these
0: babies out there you you have to just decide that if i'm training towards a race this is what racers do they put themselves in uncomfortable situations and then they become comfortable being uncomfortable and that's what it is it has to be looked at as a training tool and as a benefit you have to look at this and say this is my version of altitude i get to go out and make my lungs work and be uncomfortable and i'm going to feel so awesome in spring because of this
1: Mm Mm-hmm. That's
0: exactly right. We don't
1: race on a treadmill. Is a treadmill a great tool? Of course it is. And is there pinches where the snow is going 20 miles an hour sideways and like, it's just not smart to be out there? Yes, of course. But we don't race on a treadmill and you need to, I don't know, uh, you need to get off of it. And that's, and I also think with the treadmill situation, which, you know, we both utilize, like we're not going to hide that. But when we get on the treadmill, it's not because it's a default. It's not because it's our only option for the day it's because we're going on it and we're doing relevant work <laughs> it's like i want an incline today because i need to work my climbing legs or i need less impact to be smart with my injury recovery it's not because it's too cold outside
0: no no it's it's interesting i had this hill that i always used. it was a quarter mile long and it was paved and it was like six percent incline it was great for running intervals uphill and then descending down and i used it all winter and there were patchy areas They're icy areas and I had to chop my steps from time to time. But the effort you can put out outdoors is so huge in bad conditions because it's like every step is compromised running. You're losing Mm -hmm. a little traction or you're changing your stride or you're engaging your hip flexors and hamstrings way more than usual. And the effort and work you can put in is huge. Could I have done that workout faster and more efficiently on a treadmill? Yes. But I think I got more out of it working against nature on that hill.
1: What is your thought i want to just fire a couple of questions that i get what is your thought you have a speed workout on your agenda let's say anything doesn't matter quarter mile repeats anything you care about the pacing on and you got snow that morning it's an afternoon run and there's still slop outside but it's a speed workout what do
0: you do i mean i still do it outside even if let's say there's four
1: inches of powder
0: on the ground i do and and i i love winter trail speed sessions. Last winter, I think I did 20 by 400 on the trails and loved every second of it. And I didn't even use the zeros. I used the iRocks for those. It just studded trail shoes. Mm-hmm. If I'm really close to a race that needs good footing and I need my speed to really be where I want it, I will do it on the treadmill. But otherwise, I'm doing it in the sloppy conditions. And then like we always talk about, instead of doing 400s, I will do time. So 60 seconds or 80 seconds. 20 by 80 seconds instead of 20 by 400 and and the work is what we're going after and you can hit mile effort outside even if you're running six minute pace in the four inches of snow it's the effort that your body knows Mm -hmm. um so
1: you always in crummy conditions convert to time versus distance and approximate hey if it was clean and i was running 400 meter repeats and they take me 90 seconds I am going to run 90 seconds versus a quarter mile outside just to not get caught up in the pace of it. And just so we go effort-based
0: almost always. Yes. I, I really understand. like doing time-based rather than distance-based and you just hit the effort.
1: Yeah. Now, the other thing I want to talk about is a lot of us are chasing vert, um, because it we where we're we have on our agenda call for it. Chasing vert, for example, if you're a Midwest person like us, all we have is ski hills. And the ski hills are closed. Mm -hmm. They're off limits now. All of the ones around me have closed. All of my training tools are gone in that regard to like hard, you know, ground terrain. Um, If you live in the mountains, a lot of times that stuff gets pretty treacherous in the winter. How do you address that? Like when you're trying to chase vert, is it just you have to just accept the fact that the treadmill is the way to get it done? Or are there ways around it that you found?
0: Yeah, I think you chase vert on the treadmill, but then you use just your best hill that you have. And we're already in that mindset because we don't have great hills, but you use the best one you have and you use it over and over and over. And I I do believe that running smaller hills is way more effective in winter than in summer because you require so many more steps to get to the top when it's snowy.
1: Mm -hmm. There's um, some sledding hills in my neighborhood or in my city, which aren't nearly impressive, but they're not off limits. You can go hit those. You probably know of a hilly road or a run that you might just have to be a hamster, uh, on a wheel in a sense, going up and down the same little bit. Uh, or that's where the treadmill will, will give you that piece. It's just the descending that, that you can't get on the treadmill, which is why I like seeking out, um, seeking out some sort of like, like near us, we have a a city called Stillwater and Stillwater is a, Um, crisscrossing of roads that go down into the Mississippi river, the St. Croix river. And, and there's a steep grade there. And if it takes an hour long drive to go get some real terrain, so my body can start getting that stimulus as I'm returning to running, I'll go do it because I care enough, Mm -hmm. but there's a way. So that's, that's what I would, I would tell people, do you think it's worth, like if you're a mountain runner or you got hit in the trails and they're snowy and icy, you think they're worth going on and
0: doing quality work on still? I do. Yeah. But, but I always, I always believe that. And I think that, again, it comes back to having a shoe you can trust on the descents. And um, if you really can't get on them, then I really like running on on ungroomed trails or run on the side of the trail in the woods. There was a winter where I did, I would do uh, tempo work and I couldn't do 30 minutes or 40 minutes straight, but I would do three by 10 minutes or four by 10 minutes off trail in shin to knee deep snow, just churning against it and doing the best I could. And my hip flexors and hamstrings and glutes were just on fire because they're working so hard to get out of the snow and then off the ground. And I had a great racing season that year because I was more well-rounded coming out of it. But when you do things like that, then it is important to balance it out with maybe once a week, something pointed on the treadmill. You balance out that engine you're building with still some fast turnover, high cadence, fast speed running, because that's the thing you lose and when you're churning through the snow as you, your ground contact time is longer and your Mm stride shorter and you're not engaging the normal running muscles. So it's still important to, to have a day or two per week that you do run in a sterile condition.
1: Yeah. You can develop some really nice strength actually, and stability throughout the legs by running in that crappy stuff. It's good at building stay power when it comes to the middle and later stages of a race, let's say. Um, but it's not great for getting that, cadence and stride biomechanics of what you need to fast run down so keeping it in once in a while like you said is a really good idea we also preach time trialing Mm -hmm. and i'm getting a little pushback now from some people because i'm actually trying to convince all of my athletes to take a full week off before the end of the year so we can reset for a build and i want a time trial before that and i'm getting a bit of resistance on the conditions of the time trial people are going to want a time trial they should right is as, as we're starting to again build into new fitness for 2021 are are we wasting our time by time trial is it okay to time trial on a treadmill do you just pick and choose your conditions and get on the cement what do you do bracken
0: well i try to always get a last time trial in before the weather gets unrunnable in terms of really fast clean running outside So when I see on the schedule that it's starting to get bad and like Saturday, Saturday, it's going to be 42 degrees and sunny, then there's that's your final 5K for the outdoors. But that being said, I mean, I talked about I ran a, a mile time trial on the track in December with there was snow on the track and I wore spikes. I wore track spikes. Didn't you run like 440 something in that? I think I ran 441 or 447, yeah. Uh, the backstretch had two inches of snow and the home stretch was pretty windswept and semi-clear, or like maybe a half inch of snow, but I just spiked up and I ran hard. And was it the best time trial I've ever ran? No, but I left so invigorated. Like, are you kidding me? If I can run 441 in snow, mm-hmm. I cannot wait until spring. So again, it's that mindset training that you might not PR physically, but you can hit mental PRs in winter, but then Winter, I'm hitting a lot more of my max vertical gain in an hour tests or in yep. minutes, or I'm doing the 15 15 challenge on the treadmill. That's my bread and butter during winter.
1: Yeah. Um, time trials on the treadmill don't count, people. That's, I take a firm stance on that as well. I think
0: it's a bunch of crap. Unless you only ever do treadmill we don't race on a treadmill for example go ahead run your one mile time trial on a treadmill anytime throughout the year because he's done it in summer he's done it in fall he it's a metric he can use to gauge it because it's yeah. consistent but if you time trial outdoor all year round you don't get to go inside and then say oh i ran my pr it doesn't count no it's bullshit i'm s- no I- and stop it
1: uh <laughs> i think i think one, because you need to know your body and your body's effort and how to, how to pace. And a treadmill takes all of that out of it for you. And, and some people do it at zero percent. And there's some incline and there's subjectivity to the wind resistance when you're outside. So you should put the treadmill at one or one and a half to equate and blah, blah, blah. Just doesn't count. It's a bunch of crap. Unless you have a comparative like that you go back to as like an outside like trial you like to give yourself. But I, I tell people to just pick your day get outside, wait till the wind's low and you know the cement's gonna be dry and hit a flat block and just start running. And that's that's what I, I take a firm stance on that one. And you are exactly right when it comes to incline work on the treadmill, doing those staple tests. The 1515 test, which we talk about is really a good, like if you're on the faster side of things, a good 5K predictor in a sense, mm-hmm. like it's gonna show you comparable fitness markers. So uh, those are the two I do, fifteen, fifteen, and max gain. If I'm on the treadmill and I'm testing anything, I'm going up. Um, but time trials, I don't think, I think they need an asterisks or five if done on the treadmill. And
0: I don't think you can count it as your PR. So get outside anyways. I agree. Treadmills are great tools and you got to use it as a tool. It can't be a crutch. There's a big difference between a tool and a crutch. Mm-hmm. It needs to be used as a tool. I agree with that. As far as...
1: Um, Anything else winter running? I mean, the last episode we did, I would encourage people to go back and listen to that one because we did dive into a lot of nuances and things. Um, What other facets do you want to talk about as far as winter running goes?
0: I think planning your routes becomes more important. Like you said, finding lighted neighborhoods. Uh, When I was... When I was in college, actually, my my senior year of college, I had my best off season training block ever this winter, and we had a nasty winter. And I came in a track, and I was fit, and I was fast, and I had my best year. I hit all my PRs, and I was doing real workouts outside all winter long. Uh, I remember one day I did twelve by two hundred at like 27 um, twenty seven seconds. On the track or on, you on you the road? Just you measured off a piece of road on the road. It was probably twelve degrees out. I got a really good warm up, but uh, the key was throughout my week I was always scouting when I was driving anywhere. Every mm-hmm. time in winter that I'm driving somewhere, I'm noticing what neighborhoods get plowed. Great, what time of day do the plows come through certain areas? There was a a, a well used um, like county highway that got a ton of a ton of plowing and a ton of traffic, but it was pretty dead at 6 a.m. And that was one of the spots I do my threshold work. And then there was this road that was extra wide, and it got plowed well. And then the people took good care of it. I noticed it was already—it was always really clean—and it was like 210 meters long. So I would do my speed work on that road at like 8:30 p.m. Once people are done from from uh, with work, and they're all inside doing dinner or watching TV. That's when I would hit my speed work because I knew the roads were clear, both of snow and of people at that time. So always be scouting and find your route that you can do your work on. There's nothing more frustrating than finding the sidewalk, like, oh, here's where I'm gonna do it. And you get three miles in and you realize, oh, now it's not plowed for the next mile. So do a little course recon. It takes a little extra work in winter, but every time you make a grocery run, swing out of your way an extra mile and plot out your next running route. Mm-hmm. I do that un, like subconsciously. I didn't even think yeah. of
1: bringing that up. And people, I, I find a lot of people, especially newer runners, are afraid to run on the road. They feel like they need to stick to the sidewalk, which people, as you know, take shit care of their sidewalks in the winter, and and some are a mess, and some are taken care of, and it's really frustrating. You know, we all have bike path lanes on the shoulders of a lot of these major like inner city roads. I almost exclusively road run if I'm on the roads versus the sidewalks because it's consistent. You can get on it quick. Find the bike lane route map of your city. Most of those big bike trails, if you live in a metro area, are plowed that morning and salted and even by the evening of a snow you got clean terrain, but the shoulder of the road is the place to go. Heck, I run in the middle of the road and when I see a car come, I just Mm -hmm. dip over quick and then I go back, I do not give a crap. And I think most of you should just get out there and do that too. I I don't know why people get stuck on the sidewalks, but um, don't be afraid to run in the road. Uh, The
0: sidewalks are dangerous in winter. I agree. as dangerous as it is to avoid sidewalks with running, you shouldn't run in traffic. It's more dangerous in winter, in my opinion, to run on sidewalks because there's always ice covered up by something that you can't see. So mm-hmm. I do the same thing. I run in the in in the traffic lane in the you know early morning runs. You get up, you're running at five thirty or six. There's not much traffic, and I just run facing traffic in the road. And as soon as I see headlights, then I move over. Mm-hmm. I've been doing that for years. It's just something that, just don't be afraid to do it. I mean, just pay attention, obviously. Yeah. But not and I can't tell you how many times I got up to do a run or a workout and I realized it was snowed over. And I did I instantly went back inside, did my strength work. And then at 8 p.m. that night, did my workout because I knew, all right, it'll be clear by eight. That's when I'm doing it.
1: Mm. Do you have anything, something I just thought of? I get this, uh, and I don't know if I have a, a recommendation here necessarily, other than the obvious, but you get from people, they have a hard time breathing in the cold to be like, that's one of their barriers. Like I just can't breathe in the cold. I feel like my breathing locks up on me mm-hmm. or it doesn't work. I don't know if you get that, but I hear that from people a lot.
0: Do you have any suggestions for those people or ideas there? The majority of the time it's people that aren't used to it. Your first couple runs in it are rough and then you get used to it. It's like anything else. There are some people that always struggle with that, but generally it's ripping the bandaid off. It stings at first, and then you get very, very used to it. Again, I've run very, very hard interval work throughout a winter and never had any, any downsides from it. It's just day one through four sucks. Yeah, it's repetitive exposure. That's the one
1: thing I was going to say is if you're not accustomed to that, and you walk out of your warm, humid house and go into dry, cold conditions outside, it's going to feel a little funky, and it might take you a few runs to like acclimate but you'll allow like your bronchioles and your trachea and your esophagus and everything in there to relax. Once you just like get comfortable with it, it's more about like a tensing Mm -hmm. from, from like a, like an adaptation thing. So you just got to get out there and do it more often and it will get better. It always gets better for
0: pretty much everybody. That's do it consistently. That's something the tension that you talked about that I notice that I run more tense in winter are my lower neck and upper back tend to tighten up as you're, you're cold and you're, you're not trusting the terrain because sometimes it's slippery, but that's the big thing. Oftentimes the first five minutes of a run, I'll find myself gasping with these shallow breaths and holding all this tension. I stop, I shake it out, give, you know, blow out the tubes a little bit and then get back to running and reminding myself to stay relaxed because it's really easy when you're cold to, to carry tension in your body.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it is for sure. And I also think that like that high cadence stride and working on that in crummy conditions is like safer and smarter and better for injury prevention. So it's a good time to work on your cadence if um, you're struggling with that. I've been above
0: 180 on my last three runs, Bracken. You'd be very proud of me. That's impressive. I'll, I'll just finish by saying this. I was initially not wanting to get out the door in my first winter of running. And over time, I enjoy the day-to-day process of running in winter more than any other season there is. Now, fall and spring running in the Midwest is pretty awesome, but winter running is my absolute most satisfying time of the year. There's just something satisfying about getting it done when you know other people aren't. It's usually darker then, and while that's a hassle, there's also something invigorating about running in the dark mm-hmm. and cold but not sweating and being warm but not, and not freezing like it your body warms to a weird spot in winter where you're aware that it's cold but you're not cold and you're aware that you're you have some sweat going but you're not pouring sweat because it's too cold for that there's just something about that that I really really value winter running but you don't get that until you you rip off the band-aid
1: and you can wear you know winter running as a badge of honor like it can be used to fuel your ego and your confidence and you're knowing that you did what it took to be better. And there's something to that as well.
0: Yeah, I agree with you 100% on that.
1: Um, I just wanted some feedback on something. We got a um, we got a review in last week and the title was Love the Length. And it said, <laughs> and I, I, that's why it was a five star, Love the Length. But then it said, um, most running podcasts you know, over 90 minutes, I can't stay engaged with, but this is the only one I can. So keep up the long episodes. And, and I don't know if everybody feels that way. Do they feel like like our Tuesday episodes are roughly an hour? Our Friday episodes are roughly two hours. Um, what do you guys think there? Do you want to see them shorter? Are we losing you? Do you feel like you want more or less? I'm a little curious there. We haven't got much feedback there. And that was the first one on like the length of our episodes and i just thought that was interesting so if you have
0: any thoughts on that you let us know funny because originally we talked 20 to 30 minutes was our goal time for training tuesdays and 60 to 90 minutes on our interviews we've just never been able to hit that so if we're Mm -hmm. redundant and we're taking too much time tell us but if you like the length then we'll keep it (laughs) yeah (laughs) okay um and don't forget
1: pay attention to vj shoes and their social media channels will throw out those discount codes Black Friday going Friday through Monday. They're going to drop some sweet deals. They got
0: some great shoes they want to move and they want to help you out. So pay attention. Do not hesitate leaving the house on that first cold day or the battle is already lost. Just have to do it. Suck it up, folks.